So, this morning I want to continue with part three of what I felt the Lord lay in my, ha- on my heart of, of bodybuilding. And if you haven't followed us for the first two, they're available on our website. You can download them, listen to them there. And it's really from Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me. It will also appear on the board in the back there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. We're slowly but surely unpacking this verse. So the preceding verse, verse 11, talks about the fivefold ministry. Pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists. But they are there. God has given those gifts into the church to do a few things. The one thing that they do is to equip the saints. And we've looked at that word equip and it means to mend. It's like mending nets or bringing things together that were in disarray and bringing order again basically. And we looked at saints and I said to you all last week, you are saints. God has called you. There's not super saints and lesser saints. We are saints That is one of the the most beautiful things that God can call us. And Paul often refers to the people in different churches, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Colossia, to the saints, you know. We are saints. God has called you. Why? Because he sets you apart. Like that piece of clay that I spoke about. He takes that piece of clay. He picks it. He's the one setting you apart. But this morning, I want to look at two words, work and service, or work and ministry. And last week, I want to remind you, and we'll look at that now, I spoke about that God wants us to undividedly worship Him, and we looked at Mary and Martha quickly, and this morning, we're going to go back to Mary and Martha at some stage, and again, look at them, but what is the attitude that God is looking for? Because right here, He is talking about work. And he is talking about service or ministry. So the word work is the Greek word ergo or erg, E-R-G. Now, I try to, literally I try to figure out what this thing is. But it's a measurement of work. An ergometer, you measure work and how far you've gone in work. So it's something with jewels and things like that and pi radius, quadrat, things like that, which I can't explain whatsoever. If you Google it right now, you'll go, I don't understand it maybe either. Okay. But it measures work. So the word that is in the Greek there for work is work. And, and sometimes we as saints, we need to put in a bit of ergs. We need to put in a bit of work. In the greatest scheme of things. And we often think that it's usually just this guy standing here. And maybe a a few selected saints, once again, that is doing it. The paid staff or whatever that's doing it. That's not the pattern that we see of heaven. It's never been the pattern. But people have assumed that because you've studied and because you get paid to do something or you, you volunteer or, or whatever, you, you're the guy. You're the person. And that's not the pattern that Paul is explaining right there. He's saying that the work of the ministry is our job. Because I want to include myself as a saint. You see, I'm just as much part of the body. Christ is the head. I'm just another part in the body. But each one of us is a part that needs to play a very significant role. 
So this morning, I want to look at that word work, and I want to look at the word ministry. So I said to you, it comes from the word ergo or ergon, work. It, it describes um, effort. That's what it describes. It describes to do something. <clears throat> so the work of the ministry, what is that really? Or the work of service, it literally means spiritual service. So it's not just I do little things for the Lord and then and he blesses me. No, it's something that you give of yourself. It's a spiritual service unto Jesus. Okay, so the work that you do is not just everything, even making tea or cleaning a toilet or whatever. Everything is really in the essence of all of this. Because all of this didn't just appear. Poof. This just didn't just stand here. I mean, there were guys here, 8 o'clock in the morning, packing this stuff out. There will be people just after 12 packing all of this stuff back. Um, there's people cleaning the tables before you come in and preparing it. Because that's really what service is. Before you come to a restaurant and you sit down at the table, hopefully, not always as a spur, hopefully the table is clean and you have a waiter that waits upon you. That's exactly what that word service means. But I want to show you how twisted our thinking has been. Because we actually started thinking like the Greeks and the Jews. Because Jewish and Greek thinking used this, did not use this word work or service. They didn't use it. They used it in a very different way. Okay. See, I want to say this to you that... We seem to have forgotten that church is not just a spiritual rest home. You see, where you come and sit down and you get fed. And, but this is war. And this is an army where you get trained for service unto the Lord. So those of you who have been to the army or the police or anything like that, you'll understand that there was training involved. And that's exactly the equipping. That's really what's happening here. God equips us so that we can do something. We always spoke about national service. That's what we spoke about. You did your national service. So you served your country. You did some things for the country. You served. And here's the thing this morning. We often think it's a, and we talk about the clergy, these guys up in the front, and the laity. The laity just sits back and they just come and they receive. No, this is training. This is a place where you, right now, I'm training you for war. Tomorrow morning, it's war. This afternoon, it's war. This is a safe place maybe for an hour or half an hour or a little time. But when you go out here, then you need to understand the enemy is at war with you. Because he hates you. Because you've been made in the image of Jesus. And he wants to come and do exactly what John 10, 10 tells us. I'm totally off my notes. John 10, 10 says that, that the enemy came in to, like a flood, man. He comes in like a flood, the Bible also tells us. To kill, to destroy, to rob, to steal from you your joy, your life, and everything that you have in Jesus Christ. But the Bible also continues and says Jesus came to give you life and life abundantly. Over, superseding, super life. That's what Jesus came to give you. D.L. Moody said something very interesting. Before we do that, 1 Peter 2.5. Let's quickly go to 1 Peter 2.5. 
You yourselves, and he's talking, Peter is now talking to Christians, to the saints, to you guys, to us, to me. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Another thing I quickly want to say about that is often we think we're perfect little bricks that fit in a wall. You know, like Pink Floyd said, another brick in the wall. We're not just another brick in the wall. The wall that he is talking about here, the living stones, they don't look like they should fit. Jan is not here. Jan later gaan. They built a wall up there by Kobusagat. Him and his one of the guys. I mean, if you look at those walls, Piet, jy bou ook sikke mire. Hy steen a pas nie. And you chip a little bit off here, chip a little bit off there, until they kind of resemble a wall and start building. But that's living stones. And elke steen, ek wil vir jou sê, elke klip wat in hierdie kerk sit vandag, like anister. And that's beautiful. But you are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You see, there was this thing in history where only the priests could hear from God. And that's the very thing that a man like Martin Luther said, that is not true. I can hear from God. I can read the Bible for myself as well. You don't just have to interpret it for me. I am a priesthood. And the Bible calls us a priesthood of all believers. On priests, what they did was, back in the day, in the Old Testament, they served. They served the people. There were hundreds of priests. Thousands. Because if you had to prepare the temple, there were one that was preparing the, 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 the animals, slaughtering. There was some that were cleaning. I mean, they were washing linen. They were doing all kinds of things within the house of God. Preparing a sacrifice that would be pleasing to the Lord. What are you preparing this morning, I want to ask you, as a priest? Are you preparing to offer a spirit, to offer spiritual sacrifices that is acceptable to God? And it's only acceptable when you bring it through Jesus. That's the only place. And I think so often we try in our own strength, we try and make it happen and we want to say, God, I want to do this for you and I want to do this for you. But if it's not in the strength of Jesus, I can tell you right now, it's not going to happen. You'll run out of steam. You need you need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody said something very interesting. He said, it's better to put 10 men to work than do the work of 10 men. It's better to put 10 men to work than do the work of 10 men. Some of us are doing the work of 10 men. Some of us are working harder than others. And we realize this thing. But everybody, it's not just, it's not super saints. The equipping needs to happen that we all come together and every single person bring their part. So the word service or ministry is exactly the same word that we get our word deacon from. Diconia. And it means to rendering or assistance or helping by performing certain duties. Often of a humble or menial nature. Not something great. Oh, we, I'm a deacon. Now I can preach the gospel to thousands. No, no, no. The deacons were literally picked in at the book of Acts because they needed to help the elders. They needed to help the apostles within the life of the church. 
And this is what it says. That it helped. It, it freed the elders so that the elders could do two things. Spend time in the word and prayer. The deacons helped them. But I want to say to you, and I know that we have office, office of an elder and office of a deacon in this, in the life of this church. But I want to say to you that every single saint is called to deaconship actually. I want to make that statement and say that actually every single one of you are deacons. The moment that Jesus has come into your life and you've surrendered your heart to Jesus and you say, yes, Lord, you've become a serviceman or servicewoman unto the Lord. You are enlisted into, the God, into God's army. Immediately you say, yes, Lord, here am I. Use me. Send me. And it's not always wonderful. It's mundane activities. And literally, like I said, like waiting on tables or carrying household needs and do things like that. Activities that in man's eye are without dignity. So Luke chapter 10, verse 39, we see the account of Mary and Martha. I told you about that. And you guys can go read it up to about verse 42. But Martha's serving serves as a reminder that, one, that we are not to work for just the sake of working. I think Martha was just working for the sake of working. That's why Jesus had to address her and say, Mary has chosen the better part. Because she, she first wanted to worship. So I want to say to you this morning that your work always flows from a place of worship first. If you just work, work, work for Jesus and you never worship him, you've made a mistake. You've put the cart in front of the horses. It comes from a place of worship. It comes from a place of surrendering unto him. And once you have surrendered your heart in worship to him, that's when you start working for him. That's when it becomes a pleasure. Usually when you start doing it the other way around and you just do it because you have to do it, you'll just quickly run out of steam. And you'll go, oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. It comes from a place of worship. And that's what Jesus needed to teach Mary and Martha, really. So both of them are very, very, very important in the life of the church. A Mary and a Martha. But be a Mary first. At the feet of Jesus before you become a Martha in the kitchen. See, the Greeks regarded Diconia as degrading and dishonorable. So service for the public good was honored. You know, you could do stuff for the public. But, but I want to quote what the Greeks used to say. Voluntary giving of oneself in service of one's fellow man is alien in Greek thought. The highest goal before a man was the development of his own personality. Because it's all about me. And I think so much of that Greek thinking has crept in the church. Oh, pastor, serve me. What have you, what have you prepared for me? What table have you prepared for me? What, what have you, what have you done for me lately, uh, pastor? Uh, pastor, I need your prayer. 
Pastor, I, I, I need these things. And all of these things are right. But it must come from a place of worship unto the Lord first, my friends. Not a place of worshiping myself. It's coming from a place of laying down my life. And the Greeks really never wanted to lay down their lives for anybody. You see, this sentence that I just read is a strikingly very contemporary. And it is mindful of the fact that a culture that is focused on self-actualization and self-fulfillment will find little value in servanthood. If it's about you, you won't understand servanthood. See, in the view of the knowledge or the knowledgeable or the elite uh, Greeks, Diconia's service was not dignified. They saw ruling, not serving, as that which was proper for a man. You've got to rule. You've got to be the boss. You've got to be the head. The formula of the wise ones, and this is what it expressed. This is what they said. How can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? That's exactly what they said. How can a man be happy if he has to serve someone? Man, and then you look at Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus just now. Because the way of Jesus is totally different. So let's look at the, so the Greeks, they worshipped, they worshipped wisdom, they worshipped intellect, they worshipped all these things, but they did not go to service. Judaism, on the other side, had no philosophy of ministry involving diconia. Judaism, however, adopted a philosophy of service not unlike that of the Greeks. If service was rendered at all, it was done as an act of social obligation. That's my duty. Ek moet iets doen. And that's what the Jews said. Again, the wrong attitude. The one didn't want to do it, and the other one said, I'll do it, but uh, it's my, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's for my, you know, I do not want what I I have to do something. Again, the wrong attitude. Totally the wrong attitude. Totally opposite. Let's see what, what it says about Jesus. Matthew 20 verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served. This blew away every Judaic thought. This blew away every Greek thought. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. See, though Judaism in the time of Jesus knew and practiced its social responsibilities to the poor, and usually it was done by arms. I'll put in my arms, but it wasn't by service. It wasn't laying down their life. Lowly service such as waiting on a, at a table was beneath the dignity of a free man. See, Jesus' example in the New Testament introduced a radical new attitude towards diconia. You see, diconia is not the activity of a lesser to a greater, but is the lifestyle of a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Serving in the form of diconia is 
all throughout the New Testament. Not just in the frequency of the words used, but in the constant reoccurrence of attitudes and examples. And, and this is an example I'm going to give you. So it wasn't just the word that was used in the New Testament. This was the attitude of the people. And Luke records this in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. He says, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because of their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Diconia, there's that word. Or distribution, neglecting the daily distribution. Serving. Luke is saying, this is it. Somebody needs to help the widows, the orphans. James tells us this is good religion. When we look after the widows and the orphans. Diconia is a model on the pattern and command of Jesus, our Savior, and represents the practical outworking of God's love, especially towards fellow believers. How will they know? How will people know that we love one another? Or that we are His disciples? By our love for one another. By how I serve you. How I lay down my life for you. And this shouldn't just be from one point. This shouldn't be from the pastor's side. Oh, I'm here slogging out week after week, laying down my life. No, this is every single believer. That is what the work of the ministry entails. And that is why God equips each and every one of us. Acts chapter 12 verse 25 Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission. What does it say there? When they had completed their service. There's that word, diconia. They completed their mission. Ministry, service, mission. Mission isn't just for the select few that goes overseas and stays in Uzbekistan and countries that you can't even pronounce and they live like paupers and, and once uh, two years you send the 200 ranki for the, for the arme man after the eiste gordaini. No man. Missions is every single saint going out in the highways and the byways. Osuring is your field of mission if you placed here. Every single one of us. Come with us into the nations. It is beautiful when you start seeing saints and people getting saved. Start getting your, your, your stuff ready. We're going back to Ireland. They can't wait for us. We couldn't go this year, but we're going next year. Some of you have countries on your heart and you're just praying, Lord, release me. Let's go. Because you're a missionary unto the Lord. Because it's service. That's what it is. You don't do it because you You do it because it comes from a place of worship. You see, a diakonos is one who by choice and position has come to be under the authority of his master. And who therefore serves others in love and gratitude. Three more verses, two more verses. Acts chapter 20 verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value. Man, who's prayed this prayer before? Who's ever said this? This is hard stuff. 
This is not easy. I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only, if only I may finish my course. And the diconios, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And what is this ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Oh, Stephen, I don't have a ministry. Yes, you have. I've just given you a ministry. And you've heard it. Don't go, no, 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 either. You've just heard this. There's your ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Some, further on in the Bible, it says you have the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile God back with man. To tell them that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. The gospel. That's what you do. That's why you exist. Last verse I want to read. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your service. Fulfill your diakonos. I want to pray this this morning over every single person. Maybe just close your eyes quickly as we land. That this morning that you fulfill your ministry. The ministry that God's given you is to speak the truth in love. Tell the gospel. Share the gospel. It's not just the work of evangelists to share the gospel. It's not just the, the pastor that looks after people. It's not just the preacher and the teacher that needs to share the word. It's not just the apostle that's breaking open new things and new areas. It's every single person. There's something that God has placed within you that's unique. Equipping the saints for the work of service.